Cleveland Guardians win again. Unfortunately, it's looking like so will the Twins. This tight central race is going to continue. We're going to get it into, is Cal Quantrill the pitcher of the month? We will talk about overall performances. We're going to talk a little bit about the sticky stuff as well on today's episode of Locked On Guardians. You are Locked On Guardians. Your daily podcast on the Cleveland Guardians. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lockdown Guardians. I'm your host, Jeff Ellis, formerly a scout, formerly of 24-7, now all of Lockdown. Uh, I also wrote at Indians Baseball Insider slash Indians Prospect Insider back in the day. I want to thank you for making Lockdown Guardians your first listen today and every day, wherever it is that you get podcasts. And I want to take a second and tell you that today's show is brought to you by Vroom. With Vroom, you can buy a car entirely online and have it delivered straight to you. So you never have to go to a dealership again. So next time you need to buy a car, just grab your phone, go to Vroom.com and check out thousands of great cars. Guardians win, right? That's the important thing right now is the Cleveland Guardians win. Should Cal Quantrell be the pitcher of the month in August? At first, I thought slam dunk case, but I hadn't realized that there were two kind of poor outings in there. Uh, the very first one against Arizona and then against Detroit. Not good teams, but you look against Houston, six innings, no earned runs. Then you have Toronto, a good team, seven innings, no earned runs. San Diego, a good team, five, seven innings, no earned runs. Baltimore, a good team, six innings, one earned run. Apparently, he can only face good teams, which sets him up perfectly. Agree or disagree, he is our number three starter come postseason. I don't think you can disagree, but, you know, let me know. Uh, with his performance, I thought it would be such a slam dunk. But he, he does, in spite of those earned runs. He has a 2.139 ERA in this month. He gave up nine runs in 38 innings, uh, just the one home run, eight walks, 27 strikeouts. A whip of .76, the whip isn't a great stat. We know that. But it, just another solid performance. And what's interesting is he wasn't really even all that sharp in this one. I felt like he was struggling a little bit more. Command issues at points. He ended up walking three, which, again, we talked about. He walked eight players the entire month. He walked almost half of them in this game. Uh, the one hit came, I'd say, in the second. I could be wrong there. Uh, but I mean, he just he kept them down. I mean, they had one hit the whole game. The one hit to uh, Raymond Arias. I, I was thinking Luis Arias. I'm like, no, he's with the Brewers. To uh, Ramon Arias. I think it'd probably be how it's properly pronounced. Uh, not that I ever pronounced anything correct, right? But he was their one hit in this game. That's right. A one-hitter for Cleveland. Bullpen doesn't get touched. Uh, for did, did they even walk someone? I'm sure they did, right? It wasn't just a perfect... No, uh, Trevor Steffen did have one walk. Perfect clean innings for 99 in Class A. Uh, you know, I, I, anyone else look at Spencer Watkins and like, I, you know, I follow the game pretty in-depthly. I'm not an Orioles fan, but I saw that and all I could think was Sammy Watkins. Uh, maybe I'm just alone in that, but Watkins isn't exactly a big name. Uh, he has been a regular starter for Baltimore, so I probably should have been more familiar with Spencer Watkins. A former 30th round draft pick out of Western Oregon by the Detroit Tigers back in 2014. Uh, I love to see those guys who are 30th rounders make it. 
Uh, he started 10 games a year ago. He's had 18 starts this year. I guess I'm just not paying enough attention to the Baltimore Orioles. It's kind of crazy to think about this Orioles team, that they're still in playoff contention right now, even though, like, John Means, their number one starter, is out with, you know, needing surgery. Uh, it's a fun young team. <laughs> you look at the top of the lineup. Cedric Mullins, yeah, he's come back to earth from a year ago. Adlai Rushman, he started to, to sink back to earth himself. He's still quite good. I Okay. Am I wrong in wanting Rushman and Julio to be top two in Rookie of the Year? Because as a Guardians fan, if Stephen Kwan finishes third, then we don't use, lose a year of team control. Does that make me a terrible human being? Uh, as a fan of Stephen Kwan, I should root for him to get to free agency quicker, to get to money quicker. But as a fan of the Cleveland Guardians, and just knowing how things work, and they've browbeat me into like fear of losing players, like, I hate the thought process of him losing a year of team control. <laughs> Let me know how you feel. Remember to hit me up on my Twitter, at JeffMLBDraft. Uh... Then after that, you know, we mentioned Urias. Then you have is that Kyle Stowers, Josh Stowers. No, it is Kyle Stowers. Uh, I get my Stowers confused, even though they're like not even related or even remotely look like each other. Austin Hayes is kind of surprising. He's lowering the lineup. Uh, Mountcastle uh, and Odor, I kind of forgot. And Julio Mateo is kind of a perfect ninth hitter for them. Like in this game. You know, should we get into the box scores of it all? Should we really dive in? Have I spent enough time on Quantrell in the bullpen? No, I have not. Let's take a tweet I saw today from Zach Meisel because let's A, give credit where credit is due. And then two, it was just a really, you know, well, you know, it had all the stats you want. It had all the information and it really sums up how good this bullpen has been. And somehow... It is not saved. That is disappointing. Give me one second while I pause the show. So here's that tweet with the great information from Zach Meisel. The Guardians bullpen is not allowed an earned run since August 15th. Since then, they've rattled off 30 and a third consecutive scoreless innings with 42 strikeouts. That's otherworldly. We'll talk a little bit about some theories I have on that. And then I also wanted to pull up from the AP an interesting bit of information here on the game today. Quantrell... Is 12-0 in 39 games at Progressive Field and has gone 31 straight home games without a loss. The second longest streak in MLB history behind Kenny Rogers, who had 38 from 1997 to 2000. Not who I would have necessarily guessed to have that streak, though he was quite good at that time. But yeah, I would also have not guessed Cal Contrell to have the second longest home winning streak. Uh, It's really interesting to look at, but I mean, he just seems to get better as the year has gone on. And I feel like that happened a year ago. I have to really dig in the numbers at some point. But that's where it stands. We're going to take a break, come back, get into the numbers of this game, and talk about some playoff odds on today's Locked On Guardians. Are you one of those people who thinks it's okay to drive stoned? What's the worst that can happen? You end up driving below the speed limit? It's no big deal, right? Wrong. The truth is reaction times slow down when you're high. You're not only putting yourself in danger, but everyone around you. Talk about a buzzkill. Stop kidding yourself. It's not okay to drive high. If you've been using marijuana in any form, do not get behind the wheel. If you feel different, you drive different. Drive high, get a DUI. And and I think it's pretty simple right there, right? You know it makes you react different. If it makes you react different, not get behind the wheel of a thousand pound vehicle. Seems fair. Okay, let's talk about this. So, okay. Let's talk about the bullpen first. This is my theory. Uh, it is very clear Major League Baseball is not 
doing anything about the sticky stuff. And yes, go ahead and tell me sweat plus uh, uh, the, I'm going to say it wrong, the, not Ryzen, the, I cannot say it today, the white bag, the Ryzen, nope, not going to do it. Sorry, everyone, you can yell at your, sometimes I can't get the words out right. And other years saying that is every day, you can't get the words out right, that that is legal. Yes, that is legal. But I think when you are doing this, every third pitch, like specifically kind of going up and grabbing, I think 99 is benefiting from some hair gel. What do you think? I think there is definitely a substance back here. <laughs> I am looking forward to when an umpire has to go up and do like a, like an ape does where it like picks bugs off another ape instead of he's like <laughs> gently feeling the neck of 99 trying to determine if he has a foreign substance because someone's going to call him on it. Someone's going to, because the performance is too good. You know, if you've ever done anything where uh, you've played a game online and it's very clear someone is cheating because they are too good, like that's that's what it feels like right now. I don't think, and, and after all the struggles to really come back and just out of nowhere be completely fixed, a little bit, little bit dicey. <laughs> He's been too good to the point that I think it's going to start to raise some uh, concerns, and I think at some point we're gonna we're gonna get a check because this after every third pitch, and then you do the whole ball bounce right, so then it like helps get across and everything else. And here's the thing: no one is getting suspended for substances on a baseball. It was a big deal last year, and then they stopped enforcing it. So, of course, you know the the one time they enforced it is when everything fell apart. Now they're not enforcing it anymore. Really, everything is back to being. The elite of the elite. I, I absolutely think he has found a workaround, a change. I think it would be naive with his performance level to think otherwise, right? It's not, you know, necessarily get Lord Prayers in the Hall of Fame and he doctored baseballs his whole life. It's part of the game. If he can get away with it, uh, baseball's weird when it comes to cheating, right? Like we got cheaters in the Hall of Fame who did all sorts of things to the baseball, scuffed them, beat them up, found ways to get away with a little bit more. And then we got our other guys that were going to stand on a crate and be like, Barry Bonds is a cheater. It's like, well, you know what? I bet if he had never used a steroid, he's probably still a Hall of Famer. Yeah, he, he had a competitive advantage. But during that era, I would love to see what the... If we could look back, I would be very curious in the 90s to see the amount of hitters and pitchers that would have been juicing. Like, was it a huge advantage or was it just what 60% of the league was doing? But I've gotten off task. But yeah, so this is my thing. Just just go watch the game. See how often this happens. If you're listening at home, you can't see it, so go check out the YouTube to see me gently massaging the back of my scalp, which, again, I'm betting there is a foreign substance. I, I don't think it's just the Ryzen bag and um, sweat. <laughs> it is. I mean, he must run in circles to get his sweat. I think that's part of it, because don't get me wrong, he does not come to the mound anything other than drenched in sweat. So he's out there running circles to intentionally get the sweat up to make that. But I, I think there's a lot going on overall. And again, I'm not condemning the dude trying to cut the corners in baseball. It's why as much as people want to get mad at the Astros, it's literally kind of at the heart of this game. It's like, it's only cheating if you get caught, right? If you're not trying, you're, you know, can't remember the old quote, you feel, but it, it's, Cheating is kind of ingrained in the sport of baseball. We take weird stands and get very mad at it at certain, certain degrees and then have known cheaters in the Hall of Fame. So we'll move on. 
Let's get into this one. So the Guardians, who reached base twice in this? Let's go through. You had Stephen Kwan with a hit and a walk. You had um, two hits by Jimenez. You had a hit and a walk for Owen Miller. And again, I saw people mad that he was DHing in this one. No, Owen Miller should DH against righties. He shouldn't play against lefties. Against righties, it's fine. He is close to the derivation of normal. This is not a bad call. This is a right call. For as much as I rail against Owen Miller, this is actually not... He was productive because this is what he does well. So this is not the thing to be mad about. Uh, <laughs> yeah, This is where I'm like, no, that's, that's a good call. He should play against righties. He should not play against lefties. Uh, in this one, and I believe that's it, unless I, I don't recall any hit batters or intentional walks. So it was uh, who didn't reach base is more the interesting thing, and that's Ahmed Rosario, who did not reach base in this one. Everyone else had, you had the bomb lineup, had hits galore. Um, you know, Will Benson started in center field today. They're starting to see more looks there. Because, again, I don't know what you do with straw. I don't have a good answer to how you handle center field. I don't. I, I, it's part of the problem with the way this team is currently built is there are some big issues with no easy replacement, and then there are some places that have massive redundancy. It would be nice to have seen them make a move or two to have figured it all out, but there was no move to be had. And I'm not going to doubt the front office because it is, like, one of the best in sport. And uh, I know, I do doubt it from time to time. But box score bingo of it all, nine hits, two walks. That is 11 opportunities. That should be good for about three to four runs. Five spot is quite good. You know, the home only a home run and a double. The home run is what essentially gives you that elevation there. But, yeah, they're kind of in line a little high on the other side of things. Baltimore had four walks and a hit. That's one to two runs. Again, right in line. Uh, who are your three stars in this game? Well, Quantrell. Pretty easy, right? Like, let's <laughs> start there. Um, after that, Josh Naylor for the home run. Uh, it was, you know, an important big home run. A two-run shot, I want to say. And then I'm here, here's where I'm conflicted. Because if I'm going through, it's like reaching base twice in this one. You got Quan, who also had a double. Do I consider the hit and the, the double and the single more than the home run? Sometimes I could see that. Owen Miller reached base twice. Do you give it to Jimenez, who also had the error, but had two hits? I'm going to lean into Quan because no error, a double, so he had the other extra base hit, and he also had a single up to that 298 batting average. 765 OPS, uh, 794 for Rushman. So again, let me know what you think. Are you also pulling for a third place finish for Stephen Kwan? Um, I, I think those are your stars. I think it's got to be Kwan, Naylor, Cal Quantrell, just in terms of the performance in this one. Uh, it, it's a big win. Baltimore is a good team. You know, we'll get into a little bit of it later on the show, kind of do a late uh you know, post first game preview. Let's talk playoff odds. So if you haven't been paying attention, Cleveland is now a pretty big favorite in the American League Central. 59% chance to win the division. 36 to the Twins, 5.1 to the White Sox. White Sox are down to just a 7.6% chance to make the playoffs. Guardians, 65.3. So this Fangrass projects the Guardians to be in the playoffs. Astros are at 100% in the American League. The Yankees are at 100%. Blue Jays are at 94, even though... Right now, I believe they are the third seed in the wild card. 86% for the Rays. Orioles are just 4.9%. The Orioles, in spite of having a 523 winning percentage to the White Sox 488, have a lower playoff 
chance than the White Sox. And that's because the White Sox at 7.6%, 5.1% of that is a chance they still win the division. Uh, Baltimore has no division chance, no hope. It's all wild card for them. The, you know, okay, so after the, the big two of the Yankees and the Astros, do you know who's number two in playoff odds? Seattle Mariners at 95%. They have a 95% chance to, essentially a 95% chance to get a wild card uh, clinch. They are at a 0.1% chance uh, of winning the division. So it's it's not very likely there. But that's the thing. You can get really mad that the Guardians dropped three out of four of the Mariners, and it was, it was a depressing weekend. Or what I've kind of come to, the other side of it is, they could have easily won those. So that was a very tight series against a very good team. And hopefully when we get them at home, it's going to flip the other way around. But yeah, it, it is interesting to see. The, the Guardians all year have been kind of fighting expectations. And I'm just kicking myself constantly because they're good friends over at Bet Online. I don't have an ad read. But they did send us what their beginning of the year numbers were. The over-under on the Guardians was 76 wins. If you listen to this podcast, I was like, it's going to be hard if this... For, I, I said it would be hard to see a path for this team not winning 80 just because health was so poor a year ago. Why don't I listen to myself? <laughs> I, I thought it was very clear. I thought this was a team that you know, was going to get better. Everyone's like, oh, the division's so much tougher. Everyone, it's like, well, A, no one wins free agency and then wins the division. Like, free winning free agency is almost more a curse than a boon. And two, this team's just going to be improved by being healthy. Ugh. Man, I miss the but. Did anyone listen to me? Did anyone sit back and be like, "Oh, good point, Jeff. I think they will win more than seventy-six games." Ah, uh, I I just can't help but kick myself <laughs> repeatedly. Listen, we're gonna take a break. We're gonna come back, and we're gonna kind of talk about this Baltimore Orioles team and how they match up these next two games against the Cleveland Guardians as Cleveland tries to stay ahead in the division. Unfortunately, the Twins have the easier road to hoe, but Cleveland has a one and a half game lead with two more against this Baltimore Orioles squad. We're going to take a break, come back, and get into it on today's Locked On Guardians. Okay, let's get into the preview, as it were. Let's discuss how I think these next two games are going to shake out, since, hey, previews have been pretty good uh, in terms of, uh, well, let's be honest. Any of it is a degree of hit and miss. Uh, we can go back to the Seattle preview, where I predicted one game right, but I still think I'm at a higher overall batting percentage than most. And again, I'll, I'll stack myself up against anyone and compare. I, I think based on what I have available, it actually comes out pretty strong. And I, and I know I am not the high energy guy to begin with. I We're in that fun process right now in real life. We're, summer is ending, school is beginning. My energy, I need to kick it up. I realize that. So you don't have to tell me you're a little low. I'm like, okay, no, I know it. We're going to get stronger here. Starting off, catching position, advantage Baltimore. Do we even have to compare why? Now, Cleveland's catchers have been much improved in the second half. That's what my co-host over here is trying to tell you. He's like, hey, the catching has been pretty good. They shouldn't have traded for Sean Murphy. You're an idiot. Th thanks. That's, that's a little mean. But... Yeah, no, Cleveland's catching has been a lot better. I mean, I said Hedges had another hit. He continues to play really well um, for the Guardians in the second half, basically uh, rewarding them for not making a trade. But Rushman is Rushman. <laughs> so let's let's move on. 
first base for Cleveland, you know, this past week, the primary first baseman who's played the most games there, I believe is Owen Miller. I could be wrong in this assertion. He's got three games and then three games as well for Josh Naylor. Who had the other one? Oh, I guess the uh, the base the Fangrass one is only a three and three. Uh, with Owen Miller not appearing as DH until you know today, uh, I think we're going to consider him the Guardians' first baseman. The other side of things, primary first baseman Ryan Mooncastle for. Oh, I pulled up the wrong team. This is not. Uh, we're not facing the St. Louis Cardinals. That's the wrong bird. Wrong bird. Uh, baseball has a lot of birds. More than any other sport, I feel like. Let me know if I'm right or wrong on that random assertion. Uh, so getting into it. Moncasel, I feel like this year is a little bit disappointing because he didn't build on, you know, kind of a great short thing last year. He's been about league average. Horrible defender, about league average. Cleveland has a horrible defender who is not as good. So advantage Baltimore. Two-spot advantage. Second base for Cleveland has been Jimenez. I think that... Okay. I think I had the Cardinals open from yesterday. That's, it shows how much, you know, my, my secondary computer is just here to hold up stats for the show. Uh, on the other side, I think Baltimore's primary second baseman, you know, has been, I believe, Ruffin Odour, who we know, who, you know, that he was a multi-time scrap keeper, and this year has a 76 runs created plus with bad defense. This is kind of like the second, the catcher equivalent uh, we talked about, where it's just Cleveland is very head and shoulders above at that position. So one point lead, shortstop, Jorge Mateo has a higher war than Ahmed Rosario. He is a worse defender or a worse hitter, but a much better defender. I'm going to give advantage Cleveland for now. Because I feel more comfortable in Rosario than Mateo's continued performance. So they actually have a similar walk-strikeout ratio. Uh, so we'll have to see. But Mateo's been one of the big kind of surprises this year across baseball. But advantage Cleveland, we are tied up. Moving to third base, do I really need to compare third baseman? I mean, we know there's been some ups and downs with Jose, but his down is league average. Baltimore, Ramon Arias, who had the one hit tonight, has been their primary third baseman. You know, he's got a 100 runs created plus. He's been worth almost two wins. That's a very positive development in terms of Baltimore. It's still a loss. Moving on, DH Josh Naylor, DH for Baltimore this year, at least of late, has primarily been Santander. So Santander has a 128 runs created plus, a negative 13 D. He might be the worst defender in baseball. Uh, a one. Uh, 128 runs created plus. I'm kind of curious. I don't know exactly where Naylor is. This one might almost be a push because at the, for the time where he was in the 120s, now he's down to the 116s. And we've seen kind of a Peter performance. So that is advantage Baltimore. Uh, he's been worth you know less. He's only 1.3 as opposed to the 2.0 that Santander is, even though Santander has a oof, much worse defensive value. He is a DH all the way. Uh, center field, advantage, Baltimore. One we don't really need to dig into. Moving to left field uh, for Cleveland. That is the great Stephen Kwan, Stephen the Great. For Baltimore, their primary left fielder is Austin Hayes, who is a, a good player. But he's a 113 runs created plus. He is a negative defender. 1.7 war. I believe Kwan is in the 120s 
for Ren's Creative Plus. He is a better defender, and he's been a better hitter. So that is advantage Cleveland in that. I'm just kind of confirming that he's in the 120s right now for Ren's Creative Plus. 122, yep. Or I'm just guessing everyone's in the 120s, as I'm sure what someone out there is saying. Then we move on to right field. That has been primarily Oscar Gonzalez for Cleveland. On the other side of things for Baltimore, wrong one of my clicks, their primary right fielder um, for the past few weeks has been Kyle Stout. Well, he had one game in right. I don't know if I want to call him a primary right fielder. They've been kind of bouncing between some guys. I'm also hearing my son wail in the background, so I'm going to apologize now if he is coming through. Uh, my children do not like to sleep. I don't know about anyone else's, but it feels like as I'm trying to calm them down to relax, in this case it's my wife, they are just, they, they fight it with every fiber of their being. I don't think I've ever fought anything as hard as my children fight falling asleep. Uh, you can let me know if you have that same fun situation uh, going on in your household. So, there, and let's see, right field, I guess Austin Hayes has actually played more games than right. Maybe he should count as their right fielder. It's like, I mean, they got Stowers, and he's got two games in left. And they, it's just kind of like, it seems like they need an outfielder, for being honest. It's still kind of crazy to think about, too. They trade Trey Mancini when they're contending. And I kind of get it for one reason. Santander is so bad, you need to put him at DH. Mancini is already your DH. You're just opening a spot to maybe make your defense better. But, man, this is a team like Gunnar Henderson just killing the ball in AAA. I know he's a third baseman, but, I mean, he would be an upgrade over Arias, who's have been solid. But it's like, man, that one outfield spot is such a weakness. But if we do this by the rules, Stowers would be the left fielder. That is advantage Cleveland. Right field would be Austin Hayes. That's going to be advantage to Baltimore because he's, you know, a good player with the glove and the bat. Uh, if you look at some of the metrics, Gonzalez is average with the glove and similar with the bat. So you give it to Hayes because there is the longer track record. So go through those 10 spots, even. That's right, even. So then you get into bullpen. That's going to be advantage Cleveland because there's been a lot of up and down pieces in the Baltimore bullpen this year. Uh, but they've not been, it's not that they haven't been good. There's been some good performances. But again, not only did they trade away Trey Mancini, I'm blanking on their closer that they traded away. And then before the season began, they made that trade with Miami, sending Cole Solister and Tanner Witt away. And we talked about how I was like, oh, I kind of wish Cleveland had made that trade because I was worried about the bullpen then. Talked about things I do not get right. Uh, you know, Felix Batista has been really good for them. Outside of him, I, I don't see much of anything going to help him out. Dylan Tate has definitely had some regression. He looked better earlier in the year. Uh, it's it's not a great bullpen, so that's a massive advantage for Cleveland. And then pitching staff, you know, just one-to-one matchups. McKenzie versus Jordan Lyles, advantage Cleveland. Quantrell versus um, Watkins would have been advantage Cleveland. And Kyle Bradish versus Shane Bieber, advantage Cleveland. Cleveland should probably, you hate to say probably because Baltimore is a good team, but they need to win these games. They have the advantage. They have a massive pitching advantage in each of these pitching matchups. And I say that as the big old, biggest Kyle Bradish fan you're ever going to meet. I've talked many times about how he was the sleeper of mine because everybody stinks when you're a pitcher in New Mexico for either New Mexico or New Mexico, University of New Mexico or New Mexico State. It is the best hitter's environment, the worst 
pitcher environment. And if you can be successful there, it's, it's like New York, right? If you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. That's kind of my view on the state of New Mexico when it comes to pitching. Uh, Cleveland's got to take these. Seattle's on deck. That's going to be a hard series that we're getting to see some of their best pitching with Cleveland's three best pitchers going in this Baltimore series. You need to take these games, especially when the twins just are on a hot streak. You, you don't want to end this series like just half a game up with Seattle on deck. So they, they, they need to They're a better team. Lineups are close, but the pitching staff shut down the Orioles because they have the better pitching staff. Cleveland's relief core is significantly better, and the starting pitching favors them because I mean, Baltimore's starting pitching this year. If I just go to my stat page and pull it up, like, look at something like FIP. Oof. Means had a good one, but they got all of eight innings out of him, and you go down DJ Hall, their top prospect, they caught up at one point. Batista has been brilliant. Uh, Jorge Lopez, I believe that is who they trade away. That was their closer. Brilliant. Dylan Tate's been good. Fip-wise, a little over three. Borderline brilliant. Uh, Cyano Perez. You know, also good. Dean Kramer, Austin Voth. We haven't talked about pitching. I mean, Spencer Watkins by Fip at 4.26 is their best starter. That's a, that's a serious issue. And again, their team with, like, Grayson Rodriguez just sitting down there in AAA. I don't know if he's on their 40-man or not. DJ Hall got one appearance, the former first-round pick. The lefty, they, they need some of those guys to step up because, you know, it, right now the rotation, Lyles, Bradish, uh, Watkins, Austin Voth, and Dean Kremer is is a massive weakness. Massive, massive weakness for this team that is trying to make the postseason a year ahead of schedule. Does that sound like anyone we know? Uh, the advantage Cleveland has is, you know, they actually had a few guys that were experienced, a few guys you could count on, like a Bieber, like a Jose Ramirez. Baltimore did have Trey Mancini, but they quickly moved on from him. And again, at least there is a slight logic to that situation. I thought they got a great return on investment. I still don't, you know, maybe I'll be wrong. I thought that Tampa made a bad deal for Brett Phillips. Brent Phillips, it didn't work out for them. I thought this was a questionable deal for Jose Siri. We'll see if it works out for them. Baltimore needed pitching. They added more in that trade. So I'm curious, I mean... The depth is, you look at right now, Baltimore's top 10 prospects at 10. Jude Fabian is over here in Fangraphs, who might be having the best debut of any hitter in this class. Now, he did it at a lower level. I'm curious to see what happens as he moves up. But, you know, there are Jude Fabian believers who think he was a top 20 talent in this year's class. He's done nothing to disprove them and maybe made some of them look very smart. Baltimore is just... Listen... Arizona has some of the most interesting names. Corbin Carroll is getting called up this week. They've started to kind of graduate their talent, which has moved them down a bit. I still think it is, in terms of top-end talent, that is just overall top-end talent under 25. Arizona's fun. Baltimore's depth of top-end talent under 25 is frightening. This is a team to watch. We talked about the Seattle as a team that could be a thorn in Cleveland side for years to come. If you want to pick teams with top minor league systems that match up with Cleveland's, you know, bubble of this top talent coming. It's Baltimore in the East. It's Seattle in the West. It's Cleveland in the Central. I've been Jeff Ellis, host of Lockdown Guard. I don't know why I'm phrasing it that way. You can 
You can yell at me over on Twitter at JeffMLBDraft. You can make comments here on YouTube, and I will follow along. Please go subscribe on YouTube. I'm going to keep begging people to do it because we need to get to 1,000. That's that's just my ask. Get us to 1,000, please. And as I end every show, go, go, Guardians, go.